Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, Martin Henley, this is the Effective Marketing YouTube channel, and this is episode something something of the Talk Marketing series. If you've spent any time here, you will know that I am on a mission to support you to be more successful in your business through effective marketing. And if I can't tell you what it is you need to know, I'm also dragging in everyone I can find who will share what they know about being effective in your marketing. So that's what's happening in this Talk Marketing series. Today's guest is a psychology graduate who circumnavigated Australia on a motorbike before he entered the advertising industry to become the advertising agency's youngest managing director in 1999. He owns a Vespa and a Beetle Cabriolet. He has been involved in more household names than you could possibly imagine, although he will tell you that they weren't household names when he picked them up. He is a speaker, non-executive director, mentor, author, paleontologist, and founder of The Brand Bucket. Today's guest, for the second time, is Barnaby Winter. Good morning, Barnaby. Hi, Martin. Hi, Martin. Hey. How are you doing? Great to be am, back again. It's nice to have you back again, man. I am extraordinarily pleased to be seeing you. Um and this is interesting because we did the whole state of the marketing thing um, last time around. And now what we're going to do is how you, let me take your name down, everyone's read that now, um, how you are working to support people. It's just happened again. <laughs> I will get good at this, Barnaby. Um, how you support businesses, brands to be more successful, more effective in their marketing. But just to give people a flavour of you, I wasn't aware that you're a paleontologist. Is a paleontologist someone who gets excited about dinosaur bones? Yes, yes, absolutely. Although I, I don't have as many dinosaur bones in my collection as I, I probably would like. I mainly, uh, I specialise in the Jurassic era. I grew up in the Cotswolds. And uh, for those of you who are clearly interested in this subject, there is a Jurassic strata that runs from Lyme Regis all the way through to Whitby. Uh, and it breaks breaks the surface again in the Cotswolds, where they used to dig loads of there's loads of brickworks, um, where they make make blue bricks out of the the blue Jurassic clay. Well, I grew up quite near one of those um, brickworks, so I used to go down there every weekend and, and fossick around in the clay. Uh, so now today I've probably got somewhere around about ten thousand uh, fossils in my collection, um, and have then just made it a lifelong. A lifelong hobby which so maybe once a year now i'll go off with the family and find a, a beach which has fossils and then i go off with my little bag and hammer and they just play around on the sand and uh, and in the water and it all, all fits really well so uh yeah it's great i've got a few a few dinosaur pieces but uh i don't think i've ever found a dinosaur piece oh no actually that's not true i went to the isle of sheppey and found some some tiny bits but uh yeah i mean it's a weird hobby i appreciate that but uh 
yeah. I, it actually provides a context for for much of the work that I do, funnily enough, and uh, I often talk about this. I, my collection sort of stems around 200, 170 to 220 million years ago, and we're lucky if we get um, 80, 85 years on, on, on the planet. So we're, we're a kind of the equivalent of a speck of dust on, on one of these fossils. So I try and make every day count, uh, both in my own personal life, but also for the people I work with. And also that's where, Actually, it's quite an inspiration for, for wanting to create brands and improve the quality of people's lives by, by spreading the word of other people's great work so that people can also improve the quality of their lives, given that we're going to live for such a short period of time. So it does actually weirdly provide a context. OK, it does actually weirdly. I'm glad you admitted that because that is... <laughs> A weird context. So how excited were you then yesterday when they unearthed this water dragon oh, or something they're calling it? Yeah, no, it's great. And what, what, what's sort of funny is I had three separate messages from it. Yeah, Rutland. Yeah, so it, it maybe in days gone by, I might have got in my car and, and driven up there and see see the thing, you know, go up there to where it is live and all that sort of thing. But uh, I used to do that when I was a bit younger. Um, but um, oh, listen, uh, any new discovery in the UK is always very exciting. And also, I hope it puts the value of my collection up because, of course, then more people become interested. And uh, But I've got nothing as exciting as that. I've got a, a mesosaur, uh, a full-size full mesosaur. It's only 18 inches long, but that's a full dinosaur. And I've got a kesiosaur, which is also a tiny little little dinosaur, but uh, nothing as, as good as that. No, it's, it, there have been some great discoveries recently. And, uh, in fact, one of the... Uh, one of the books I was given for Christmas and I'm currently reading is The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs. So, uh, and that's a fascinating book that uh, came out and is a bestseller in the New York Times right now. So, and it is really fascinating. So, but I don't get out much, Martin, as you know. So, uh, you know, let's leave it at that. Okay, let's leave it as that. It sounds a little <laughs> bit a little bit bleak was it at the end i'm sure you get out no of no not really no i just i just i i think hobbyists become very boring very quickly okay. <laughs> all right so just stop me stop me there i think i don't know how it's useful it is for the audience to find out okay well they've got a sense of perspective now at least we're here for a millisecond in the grand scale of things so you might <laughs> well, as well I think that's right yes I think that's right okay that's right. Yeah. good so today, you know, we did the state of the marketing thing previously, and I'm yep. really interested to kind of dig in more to what it is that you do and how you do it for people, because, you know, the sense of this, this whole exercise is about giving people stuff that will help them to be more successful. So we'll need to go back a little bit because some other people might not have seen the first. So your business is called The Brand Buckets. I know yes. that there is a kind of a process that you've put together. I know that you're a huge believer in brand, but maybe for the sake of people who haven't who haven't seen the first one of these, maybe you can give us a sense of what your definition of brand and what your approach to brand is. Yeah, great. I think it's great. Exactly the right place to start, Martin, to be fair, because my my... So in 1999, I became youngest MD of a top 200 agency, as you said in the, in, in, in the introduction. And that was an agency that had at its heart the brand bucket uh, as a methodology. Um, my first board meeting, I walked in and said, OK, guys, I, I kind of understand what a bucket is. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty self-evident what a bucket is. What's, um, 
what's a brand? And that day we had over 148 person years of experience sitting around the board table of creating very famous brands uh, from SO to AA to Carlsberg to, you know, FedEx, all those sorts of brands had been gone through the brand bucket process. And we spent about 15 minutes filling six sheets of uh, A1 flip chart paper with what we thought a brand was. Uh, and this is a question I've asked many thousands of marketing directors ever since. And one of the one of the big first things we need to get clear is the difference between brand and branding. And a lot of agencies muddle up the word branding or they mix branding and brand simultaneously all of the time. And the concern that you would have is that is that um, it means they fundamentally fundamentally don't understand what a brand is because branding is effectively well, emanates from where it comes from, you know, using a branding iron to brand a cow. So you knew it belonged to somebody, even though it was running wild on in the, in the wilderness. What actually branding is, is your logo, your look and feel, might be some tonality, all that sort of thing. It might be some kind of image dimensions to it. But um, it is essentially the, the clothing that a, a business wears. And it's very, very distinctly different, if not a tiny part of what a brand is. A brand is much more meaningful than that. So once we'd identified as, a, as an agency that we didn't really understand what the word brand was, even in the term brand bucket, we um, embarked on a three and a half month journey to come up with a definition of brand because, and you'll see I'm pretty well read, all the books behind me I've read. I think at the time I had something like 60 books with the word brand in the title. And if you pick up a book with the brand in the title, you'll find they won't have defined brand in there. It has, there's a different spin. And this really confuses business owners because they don't know what, what they're buying anymore. So we, we came up with a definition in 1999. And the definition we came up with, and this is our definition of brand, is it is every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. So let me just explain that in more detail. The first thing you need to understand is a brand, a true brand can only exist in the mind of a buyer. I.e., somebody who's given up the one single currency that they have available to them, which is time. Now, time also manifests itself in the form of money. For most organizations, the money has to be earned and time has to be expended in order to earn the money. Uh, unless you're independently wealthy, most people are on some kind of salary, some kind of uh, income uh, from um, from their work, giving up their time, their lifetime, which kind of relates back to to the the uh, the relationship with 220 million years fossils. So actually, time is your key asset, and you convert that into money, and then use that to transfer. So only at the moment where you pass over the money that you've earned. Um, i.e. the time that you've invested in getting that money? Do you really have a sense of the value of the product or service you're being given? And ideally, what you're looking for <clears throat> is something that comes across as worth more, would take you longer to do than the person who's made it has taken. And as, as you go to mass level of production, then people produce things very, very quickly. I mean, we could, uh, I've, I've seen them make Cornettos. They literally go li literally across the thing is about four a second. Well, you couldn't make a Cornetto in a quarter of a second. You just couldn't do it. They've done that. They've done the investment. So when you're buying that kind of ice cream, then you're paying that amount of money for the time that uh, somebody's invested in it. But the key thing about brand today is it's a relationship. It's a relationship that people value more than the relationship they have with their money, i.e. or their time that they expended. 
So the job of a brand is to make sure that every single aspect of your business, every single experience, every single touch point, from the warehouse, from the shop floor, right through to the boardroom, um, everything is working towards the idea that the relationship that you're going to buy from them is absolutely unique, differentiated, of high value, and is worth the money in people's pockets. So a brand is every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. So your job is, as a business owner, is to really put a marketing lens over every single aspect of your systems, your processes, as well as uh, obviously the way you communicate with the outside world and indeed communicate with your staff. So it's a much bigger thing, a brand. And it's not surprising then that when you come to sell your company, there will be uh, a value placed against your brand. And that will be dependent on how integrated your systems and processes are with the relationship that people who buy from you have with the business. So every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. That is the definition of brand that really I would recommend you start thinking about and working to. Okay, good. Interesting. I think it's right. I mean, I've heard dozens of definitions of brand and people hmm, people talk about it being the relationship sometimes. People aren't necessarily so specific about it being a relationship with a buyer, with an actual customer. That is someone who's taken the time to invest it. I think about how does, how does this, so that, that's my question then, how does this relate to the market, to people, the relationship you have, your business has with people who aren't yet your customer, who may never be your customer, but are in your marketplace? So prospective buyers, how does this relate to brand awareness? That's kind of my question, I think. Okay, so, so I, I think you're, you're beginning to drift into the, the brand bucket itself because the way you effectively build relationships with buyers has a very, very specific format to it. And brand awareness is, 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 is in fact one of the first steps uh, of that. Now, I think before before we, we, we get to the brand bucket, and I, I will talk about that later on in, 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 in the show, it's, and it's a really important uh, piece of thinking that's really worth um, trying to understand. The first thing you really need to do is to define what the foundation stones are for building the relationship. And actually, just don't forget, a business is a a methodology for creating commercialized relationships. So in other words, you're building or designing a product and then you're getting people to buy it from you or you're, you've created a service and getting people to buy it from you. So what you're doing is you're commercializing the relationships and that at very simple level is you, it has a cost to produce, a cost to sell and hopefully what you get uh, for, for selling it is more than those and you end up with a profit. That's business. There is no more... There's nothing more complicated to that. And again, a lot of business consultants will, will try and make it much more complicated. It's very, very simple. What we're doing here is we're building a product or making a product or service. We are delivering uh, delivering that to market and then hopefully we're selling it for more than that cost. And the bit that's left over is your, is your, is your profit. Um, and then the government take a bit and then leave you with a net profit, which is the bit you get to keep and, and do with what you like. So 
business is commercialized relationships. So what's the relationship actually between? So in the definition, it says a product or service um, and, and the buyer. The first foundation stone is you've really got to define uh, the product or service. And where most businesses make a mistake is they get very excited about the features of their product or their service. And often you see this manifest itself in, in, in the communication that you see from that organization. The trouble is the relationship is with a buyer, not with the maker, not with the brand owner, not with the business owner, not with the staff. The relationship is with the buyer. So the problem with focusing on features of your product or service, however clever they are, is the buyer kind of still has to work out how that might be useful to them. So the first foundation stone that you need to really do in this formula for marketing success is you need to create a value proposition. Now, again, if you've worked with any clever people who claim to be in the marketing industry, they, you may have got a, a, you know, a three sentence, six sentence phrase that's called a value proposition, which kind of describes the value that you provide. You frame it, you put it on the boardroom wall, and nobody ever reads it again, uh, because actually that's really not particularly useful. Uh, notwithstanding, often the value propositions I presented with are actually poor mission statements, poor positioning statements, all those sort of things. All of those are kind of irrelevant, it has to be said, when it comes to marketing. But there you go, we'll, we'll, we can come on to that later. The thing you need is a value proposition. And a value proposition is a very critical thing. It is, we discovered 25 years ago that it's a set of four particular values. And uh, because we're in brand bucket world, they all begin with B, of course. So the first set of values you really need to define is what's your behavioral style as an organization. Um, because we buy from people we like. So it's really critical that you decide and define what you're like, because that's then you'll kind of know what the people who are going to buy from you are going to be like, because they're going to be like you. And we did some research in 2005 as a result of the onset of a thing called the World Wide Web and the Internet and thinking things were really beginning to change. And we discovered there's an extra dimension to that, which is not only do we buy from people we like, but we also buy from people who are like us. So, of course, with the amount of choice that's out there, and there's a mega amount of choice, no matter what product or service you're in, there's no such thing as a USP anymore. There's no such thing. They, in fact, died in 1995 uh, and were buried in 1996. Um, and there's no such thing as a unique selling proposition. If you think you've got one, by the way, try Googling it. And if you're the only result on the page, then you've got one. But if you're not the only result on the page, then I'm afraid a buyer will not perceive you as having any, any anything unique of as a single point uh, at all about you. So you define your style, what your behavioral characteristics are. That's a value set number one. The second value set that you need to define are what your benefits are to the buyer. So you've got to take your features and you've got to literally say, so what at the end of it, and then redefine those features as benefits. So for example, if you've been going for 35 years, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of that might be that you've seen everything under the sun and that you can uh, solve problems much faster than anybody else because you've been there and done that and worn the t-shirt that's the benefit so i can solve any problem challenge us and then that becomes a marketing strategy to say challenge us with any problem in the market and because of our 35 years experience we'll be able to solve it faster than anybody else that's a benefit so you've got to define your benefits that's the second set of benefits the uh, uh, 
values. The third set is then beliefs. Now, I'm a big fan of Stephen R. Covey. You might be able to see the book behind me, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Be proactive, begin with the end in mind is number two. And the belief side is beginning with the end in mind. So what you've got to do is you've got to decide what you want people to believe about the relationship before you start any form of brand work. So if you want um, if you want people to think you're a really easy to use brand, don't make the packaging nigh on impossible to open. Um, and actually, we we I often demonstrate this with the Apple box for the original Apple Apple phone. It's changed now; it's thin, and it's, the Apple phone is really it's just the phone and a, and a cable now, and it's all. But the original Apple box was a, a work of art in its own right. And actually, when if you're an iPhone. Uh, user you probably kept the box because it's one of those weird things you just don't want to throw away it's such a beautifully crafted and it tells you that the product inside is going to be amazing so use even at a uh, marketing thinking at a, at, a, at a product level is if you want to be easy simple and make the user guide easy all that sort of thing this is all marketing thinking and this is all brand thinking so you, you define you begin with the end in mind and you define what people want to believe about you and then the final value that you really need to define is what do you want to be famous for you know you're sitting down you're a business owner um, and many business owners don't want to be famous for anything they just want to make a million of money and you know uh, and, and go on holiday in the sun and that sort of thing and, and bring up their families and drive a nice car but actually any business should have a real desire to be famous for something and you need to define that right at the beginning because everything in the relationship should lead to allude to being famous for something uh, and again there's a process for doing that you should identify who your, who your key key target market is within that you need to define what it what the core is of what you really do for people and ultimately what they're ultimately going to get from you and that's really how you make up a, a be famous phrase so there are four four sets of values um, um, there are obviously um, your behavioral values your benefit values your beliefs and what you want to be famous for. So that's the foundation. So I have to say, if you're going to build a brand without those sets of values highly defined, you're going to be in trouble from the outset. Um, and you're just going to be a, 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 a dandelion blowing in the wind. Uh, you're just going to go in all sorts of different directions. So you need to define those first. That's the first part of the relationship. The second okay. part of the relationship. Cool. Yeah, Before go on. You, we yeah. go there. Yeah, because um, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, so don't go too fast because I've got questions. Definitely. Okay, go, so go. this is making a lot of sense to me. Um, the benefit thing. Okay, so the first question I have is: Who does this apply to? At what point or what style of business? should be thinking about developing a brand for themselves is it like so someone who's a local plasterer who's got all of his mates numbers on his and gets referred business all day every day they don't need to develop a brand do they so so that's the question that's the first question i've got more questions but the first question is who does this apply to what style of business should be thinking about investing in brand the way you're talking about it today Okay, so it's a really interesting question, and one I don't think I've ever been asked before. Um, so I'm I'm what's commonly known as a specialist generalist. So my career took me down a path where I've worked across every single type of business, every size of business, um, uh, every shape of business, every sector. Um, I've 
there are almost normally when people ring me up and say have you got experience of this i normally say yes now and that's the advantage of 35 years in in the business and another 35 to go um i i have to say and i guess i'm biased on this martin but but every single business should be pursuing creating every experience that affects the relationship between their product and their buyer irrespective of what business you are now just to take you back to the plumber who has a business development strategy of referrals only what they will be expecting is the referral will be related to their value proposition because otherwise what they'll do is they'll spend a lot of time dealing with inquiries which they don't do and they so there's nothing worse than oh uh, your mate bob said i should contact you because uh, I need this done. And they go, oh, I'm really sorry, I don't really do that. That's a whole period of time in your life wasted because you don't want to upset your friend. You don't want to upset the prospect. Um, you've got to handle that in a particular way. But you've got to teach the, the friend to sell your value proposition in the right way so that when they do refer you, the referral you can do some help with. Now, there are lots of techniques to do that because what you can, the deflection techniques, you go, actually, that's not something I do, but let me refer you on to someone who I know will do that. Then, then you can go on and get away with that. So I think my answer to your question is every single business should adopt a brand-led approach to their business, irrespective of what they are. I don't care whether they're a, an ice cream van or whether they're well ice cream vans are particularly branded because they have the little that funny music that comes around and everybody rushes out their houses i mean what a better way of branding than anything like that um uh, whether you're a shoemaker whether you're a hairdresser whether you're 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 um, a major uh, conglomerate or whether you're facebook or or it doesn't matter you know apple uh, whether you're elon musk everything has to have a brand and don't forget a brand is the promise of a relationship um and you know human beings are brands so every individual has a personal brand so i don't think there's any anybody anywhere that shouldn't be focused on developing their personal brand developing their business brand developing their parental brand their child brand everything everything in my world everything's a brand good okay great i agree with you 100 percent. and what i haven't considered before but what i'm hearing from you now is that clearly you want your marketing to attract the kind of business that you want to do. So this, this awareness, and I've said, I say this all the time a lot, is more than knowing that you exist. It's about, like, there's depths to, that, to a brand awareness. So the brand awareness is knowing that you exist, knowing what you do, knowing how you do it, knowing what you charge. And the more people, the, the, the greater that awareness that people have of you, then the more likely they are to want to do business with you by the time they're actually engaging you in a sales type conversation. Brilliant. Good. Yeah. And actually, just to add to that, I think you should be using your brand awareness to put people off. Yes. And your sales. Yeah. I think you've got to set up your marketing journey in such a way as the people who are in the market looking for your solution can A, find you, B, enjoy finding you, uh, tread the path, beat a path to your door, give you the money and buy the products. Actually, what you want, you really only want prospects to do, to do that. So actually, most marketing, I mean, actually, you know, the marketing industry relies on wastage. It doesn't rely on success. Just think about this. 
the broadcast industry, everybody in the marketing, whether you're in PPC, whether you're in uh, uh, Facebook advertising, whether you're in advertising and anything, their business model is based on wastage, not on success. It is entirely based on waste, not success. In other words, they want to charge you a lot of money for you to spend communicating with people who will never buy from you. Because actually, if you spent money with them and everybody bought from you, you wouldn't spend that much money. And therefore, the whole business model of the marketing industry falls over. So be quite clear about this, that when you're going into the market, the people sitting the opposite side of the table want you to not be successful. They want you to talk to everybody and you filter the wheat from the chaff. They don't do that. What I teach my clients to do is to do use marketing to filter the wheat from the chaff so that when people contact you, they are absolutely primed to buy uh, and not, you know, and that's that's a characteristic of the whole inbound marketing model that we talked about in the last show. Excellent. Good. And I'm 100% with you. In fact, you're using different phraseology and different terms, but you're saying a lot of what I'm saying all the time. So really, the role of your marketing is to qualify your prospects and qualify your prospects out, essentially. Correct. Uh, qualify exactly people right. who aren't going to be prepared to pay the money, like the solution, have a long-term relationship, blah, blah, blah. Qualify all of that out so that by the time you're engaging people, you have a well-qualified prospect. Good. I just want to say about brand... Because I think still in my mind, brand is a little bit different from the way you've defined it. I'm not pretending to have spent three and a half months with 160 years of marketing experience to have done this work. But for me, part of the brand is that brand awareness, is the perception or the relationship that people have. Or the, no, So let's just say it's not a relationship because they haven't spent money, but it is the perception that they have of you before they spend money with you or the perception that your competitors have. So like Ferrari, for example, is a fantastic brand. And I had a conversation in one of these chats about how a big part of that brand is about how very few people can actually afford a Ferrari. The thing about that is that if you take that into consideration, then you, you already have a brand. You know, if there is any awareness of you at all, whatever that perception is, is your brand. So for me, you, you should be investing in making sure that's what you want it and need it to be. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I, th I think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try and change you. Um, uh, what you're talking about is branding, not brand. Okay. Um, um, so, yes, I agree that we all have awareness of Ferrari. Yeah. How many people have driven a Ferrari? How many people have even seriously think, you know, I mean, everybody loves Ferrari. Why don't we all go and test drive a Ferrari? Why don't we walk into a Ferrari showroom and just test drive it or a Rolls Royce or, a, or you know, a Bentley or whatever? Or it doesn't matter. Or a Lamborghini or whatever. Actually, um, you know, my, my daughter's bought me a driving experience so I can go and drive a, a Lamborghini, which I'm, I'm doing, I think, in March. You know, my only access to that is to is to buy into to those sorts of experiences. I'm, I'm, you do not have any sense of what a Ferrari is like until you sit sit in the behind the wheel and drive it. Uh, and in, in fact, it's where the brand bucket stemmed from originally because it's a six step engagement model. So I think you're talking about branding. Yes, of course, we have opinions about brands. So you probably have a very strong opinion about Ferrari. You might have loads of books on Ferraris. You may have driven one, you might, but you've never owned one. Actually, owning a Ferrari is a different brand experience in total because, you, you know, it's 
£2,000 a service and, you know, £1,500 a wheel for a new tyre or whatever, whatever the cost. I don't know what a Ferrari costs, but I'm imagining that if it costs that amount of money, those sorts of things, you know, to, to, you need to be in a whole different space to do that. So your relationship, if you're a multimillionaire with your Ferrari, is going to be entirely different to if you're an average uh, married man with two children earning £27,500 a year. Your relationship with Ferrari is entirely different. So that is not a brand relationship, in my opinion. It is a branding relationship because you have a view of it and we watch Top Gear and we all get excited by it and all that sort of thing. But actually, there's no real relationship between you and the product. Now, my don't forget, I'm bought in by businesses to help them sell more stuff, right? Yes. If I go in and say, I'll tell you what, I'll get everybody, including your granny, to love Ferrari. They'll go, okay, so how does that help us sell more stuff? I go, well, it's a brand, isn't it? That's a brand. I mean, you, you want to build a big brand. So I'm going to get everybody, including your granny, to love Ferrari. No, that's not what people are interested in. Um, people are interested in stuff going out of the warehouse, uh, call centers being full of... I think it's even remotely robust from a business point of view. I accept you have it, but I think it's more about branding uh, than it is about brand. So lonely on the right. Okay, so you're making the distinction then between branding, the verb, that's doing brand, that's working to influence these relationships and the outcome which is brand yes absolutely so, and it's a really important one that martin yeah Bra brand is the outcome of marketing not so the outcome of branding no branding no branding is part of brand it's one single line on brand and there are six six steps to, to creating a brand um and branding is one of them Okay, good. All right, then. So, so as we go through the steps, then we are likely to cover this. Cover so I don't want to dwell on this too much. This okay. benefit, um, this benefit feature thing, I was taught yes. this in my first sales training in 1994. Oh. And it just blows my mind that people still do this. But the interesting thing is that because obviously business owners is what they do is they develop their products and they develop the features. And I think it's, I mean, it's ridiculous that people still don't know to do this, or they do know to do it, but even if they do know to do it, they don't do it. So they spend all their time investing in the features, which is what they're always excited about, and they don't invest anything like enough time, I think, in understanding what the benefits are. So I'm 100% with you there. I also talk about with my clients about value propositions. What is it that you do that is of irresistible value to your customers? That's that's kind of how I try and map um marketing messages the belief thing is really interesting so starting with the end in mind of course that's that's really important i like this be famous thing because i just do oh and that and that, that caused me to come up with a question about who this is for okay good i'm happy with your four b's we can go on if you like that's great okay okay because that's only step one of the relationship there's only one side which is you of course the second side of the relationship has to be defining your ideal prospect um Good. And again, um, one of the one of the challenges that I find is that um, there is still this concept of demographics hanging around as a way of defining prospects. Um, and I need to tell you that demographics was created as part of the fraud of the broadcast uh, marketing industry, because it's a demographics is effectively a pie. That's Can I just stop you for a second and just let you know, whenever yeah. you talk about the fraud of the marketing industry, 
or the advertising yeah. industry, I'm 100% with you. I'm never going <laughs> to <talk. laughs> Never. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. good. So tell us about this fraud. Well, so the fraud was that, listen, if I if I bought a uh, centre spot at News at 10, which was the most ex- one of the most expensive spots, uh, second only to the centre spot of uh, Coronation Street, on television when there were only two TV channels, I was I was effectively buying a 30-second uh, spot to talk to 10 million households or, or 20 house- million households. There was no way that the broadcast industry could distinguish between one house and another. It just wasn't sophisticated enough. So they, the concept of demographics was a clever tool that was created to split people into A, B, uh, C1, C2, D, E, give them an age range, give them a disposable income, give them a postcode. And what they the, the media owners would do, do was come into to the agency and to the client meetings and say, right, what, what are you targeting? So you're targeting B, C1, so your upper upper market mass market right okay we so in our in our 20 million we've got four million of those and you go so you're paying for four million you go yeah that sounds a lot and we get four million eyeballs three times maybe four times then you know eight percentage of that and it was all calculated out what they didn't tell you though that 80 percent of the money you were spending was going to be talking to the a's and the c2s and the d's and the e's and everybody else watching it so demographics was created really to befuddle you into forgetting that you were spending most of your money to support the business of the media owner um, and to advertise for people to people who would never ever ever buy from you let alone the people who did were like this the four million that were in the market might or might not be in the market it was still you know randomness now that particular philosophy of demographics still prevails today if you ever go to an exhibition and get a free ticket to anything it'll ask you um what your name is, what your postcode is, what your age range is, what your disposable income is. And they're still using demographics as a targeting tool for marketing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, how ridiculous is that in a world where, you know, we are enjoying one to one relationships with the media? Um, it's just monstrously stupid. And anybody does it. Now, if you're putting a business plan together and you're trying to sell it to investors, then please use demographics to demonstrate there's a market there. But for goodness sake, from marketing, please abandon the nonsense that is demographic. So that's all well and good. Uh, what do we replace it with? Well, actually, the thing we replace it with, if you accept the concept that business is a set of commercialized relationships, and that underpins what a brand is, what we need to do is we need to have a way of profiling our prospects from a relationship point of view. And I think it's probably now over 20 years ago, if not longer, um, that we settled on psychographics as the uh, as the methodology now this is not to be confused with psychometrics which is an entirely different discipline altogether and people muddle that up as well so some people say psychometrics when they mean psychographics now what is a psychographic a psychographic is essentially a profile of your ideal prospect that defines how they think what their experience of your marketplace is what they what their aspirations are what their what their ambitions are, what they are looking to achieve. And that is the profile that you need to describe of your ideal prospect. Because here's the thing, if there are trillions of people in the world and you're marketing to, you're you're setting out your stall as if you're at a market stall, what you wanna do is put wares and a way of presenting your product or service in such a way that it only appeals to people who have experience of your sector, are excited by it, are 
you meet an aspiration of theirs, an energy of theirs, or whatever. So what you have to do is create a psychographic profile of your ideal prospect. This is a skill in its own right. Um, and uh, we have various techniques for doing that, um, ones that work really, really well. But you need to define your, pro your, your prospect as if they were a person, the way you were describing a friend. Now, you wouldn't describe your friend and say, actually, they're, they're uh, you know, five foot 11 and they've got dark hair and they've got bright white teeth and they've got two arms and two legs. And that's a demographic narrative. What you say is they're great fun. They love golf. Uh, they love uh, eating great food, you know, listen to great music. You, you narrate what they were about as a person. You need to do that for your prospects. And so now you have the two foundation stones for building a relationship. You've got your value proposition defined by the four Bs. And you've now got a profile of the kind of person that you'd love to attract to your business. The job then is simply to have a methodology to get one to buy the other one. So in other words, the psychographic profile to buy the values, i.e. the values of the individual to buy the values of your product or service. It's it sounds it's very, very uh, simple, but it's not easy to do. So I hope Good. that Okay, so that but you're on to step three and I'm interested in step two twice already. So okay. how because I, I'm hundred percent with you. Um, I'm a hundred percent with you. When I teach Google, I, uh, when I teach digital marketing, I teach PPC, I tell people Google are exceptionally good at taking your money. So your mission, yes. if you are engaging in PPC, is essentially getting as much value out of every penny that you possibly can because Google yes. are on a mission to make sure that you're not getting value. I, I get that entirely. Actually, the you're the first person that I've ever heard say it in as succinct a way Essentially, everyone you're spending marketing budget with has an interest in making sure you are less successful than you could be to continue to get your budget. Okay, so that's really important and interesting. So demographics. Now, so demographics is useful because I can see, for example, from my metal suppliers um, customer, I can see from the back end where else they spend their time. So if I'm advertising, God help me, if I'm advertising, I'm in trouble if I'm a digital marketer. But if I am advertising, I can say, okay, well, these people are interested in automotion. They're, or, or, yeah, they're interested in automotion. They're interested in automation. They're interested in gardening. They're interested in shopping. So maybe I can put my budget in these places. But exactly as you've told us, that is grossly ineffective and inefficient. The question I have for you is, and, and PPC is probably the alternative to that if you are very religious about managing your spend. So PPC is, yeah. So, but explain that to me. So exactly, I've got. Okay, okay. So I know this person's fun. I know what else do I know okay. about them, and how do I? Okay. Let, 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 let me tell you a story because it, it relates to 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 an earlier point that we did. So many years ago, I, so I was I, my agency became one of the 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 first authorized Google AdWords agents, right? I went on a three-day training course by Google in a swimming pool in in, uh, in central London. Uh, it was inside the swimming pool, the actual the, the course. Um, and they spent three days and then we got a certificate and then we, we could go on that. Now you get this, you know, a, a voucher through the post and you can do your own, your own keywords and run your own campaigns. It's very different now. 
And during that course, it dawned on me that actually we should not be doing what Google said, but we should be using what was then called long tail keywords, et cetera, et cetera. So a client, a client approached me and he said, I've got a set of uh, uh, speakers that uh, deliver concert pitch sound using non-correlated sound. They're the world's only ones. I built, I built 10 sets. I've spent a quarter of a million on a patent and I need to sell these sets of, uh, of um, speakers. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and, and then I can carry on with my business. And I, he said, aren't you a, 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 a pay-per-click expert? And I said, yeah, but we only do long tail keywords. And he said, okay. So, and he came into the agency and I said, what kind of budget have you got? And he said, well, I haven't really got too much budget. And I said, okay, how much are the speakers? The speakers were at the time, 5,800 pound a pair. So they were pretty expensive. And I said, okay, I will do a campaign for one set of speakers. And he said, really? And I said, and I'll pay for the campaign. And he said, okay, are you sure about that? And I said, what kind of words were you thinking? He said, speakers, high-end speakers, you know, stereo, that sort of thing, as a, as, a, as keywords for pay-per-click. Okay. And I looked at him and he said, you, oh, you don't think that's a very good idea? And I said, well, the trouble is it's broadcast and everything. He, I said, he said, well, what will you do? And I said, I think, uh, I think we're only going to buy two words. Bear in mind, I'm paying for the campaign and I'm going to sell you 10 speakers, 10 or nine sets of speakers. He said, all right, okay. What words are they? And I said, one's Ferrari and the other one's Lotus, which is why it kind of relates to the story earlier. He said, oh, I don't get that. And I said, okay, so here's how it works. Do you know what the second most expensive item is in a Ferrari and a Lotus? And he said, no, I don't. I said, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the stereo. So people who are stupid enough to buy a Ferrari and a Lotus and then park it up on the M25 and the traffic jam, right? The thing that they value most is having an amazing sound system around them. So we know lots about the, the, the this particular person they've got a lot of money they're probably uh, um they love the sounds uh, and they're probably into their music and all that sort of thing and he said okay that's interesting so we then ran a campaign with ferrari so if you typed in ferrari a little uh, uh ad would come up which says the world's greatest uh speak stereo speakers um well, then you clicked on that and it took you to a page that said uh, we'll come and install the speakers for a month. If you don't like them, uh, we'll take them away. And if you do like them, you give us £5,800 and you can keep them. So we spent £48 on a Google campaign. Uh, I think at the time we could get Ferrari and Lotus for something like 12p a click. So that was not that many clicks. Um, and then people clicked to the website, the one-page website that said, bring this number and we'll come and install them. We installed uh, all nine sets 10 times. One guy had them installed and then got a job in Amman or somewhere or in Saudi or something like that and had to mothball his house. When they rang us, we had a gearbox system. We said, look, these are quite big, these speakers, and they are quite big. Um, uh, is access to your building easy? Uh, to where, and if people said, well, you have to drive a quarter mile up the drive, uh, and then if you come around to the rear entrance, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll meet you there. And, and then we, the next question we said is how big is the room they go in? And they said, well, actually, if the room was uh, eight by 10, we go, no, they're way too big for that. If they said, um, uh, well, I don't know, we're thinking of putting it in our second lounge. That's about 120 foot by 80 foot. So now and we say, OK, and then and then we knew that they had a Ferrari, interest in Ferrari and Lotus. They had an interest in music. We knew that they um, they lo they loved music. They probably had a big house, um, etc., and they could probably afford it. So anyway, we we installed the the nine sets ten times. Uh, eight people bought them, in, including I believe one of the band members of Coldplay um, uh, in the early days uh, bought a set. 
and I have a set in my boardroom. So if you want to come and see them and listen to them, they are damn amazing. Anyway, we, we sold the whole set. Now, the point of the story is if you start with a psychographic profile, I what do these people think? What do they like? What do they do? Where, how do they live their lives, et cetera, et cetera? Creating an inbound marketing campaign gets really, really easy. And actually, if you're selling uh, ski holidays, you should buy ski bindings as a as a keyword they cost next to nothing but the only people looking for ski bindings are going to be people who ski who might want to go on skiing holidays rather than just saying do you go on holiday and have you ever tried skiing which is what most people are sold by broadcast led marketing agencies Does good that help at all sort of um <laughs> so Goodbye. the thing about ppc is that you get the chance to do some qualification don't you so because you design the headline and the content, so you can bid for ski bindings, but as long as yes. the headline and the, and the content says ski holidays, if they've already organized yes. the ski holiday, they're not going to click, you know. So Correct. that Correct. works beautifully. I'm still not entirely sure. Did you bid on the words, or you bid on the words Ferrari and Ferrari Lotus? We only, bought, we only bought Ferrari and Lotus. That's all we bought. But so when the, people typed in Ferrari, the ad came up, said the world's greatest speakers, and then... And then you went through this process, and by the time we, we qualified people through the whole process, um, through uh, through the conversation, when they were installed, when people went to collect them a month later, they they paid the checks straight away. So beautiful. Okay, I understand now. Okay, good. So that's interesting. All right, good. I think I'm happy with point number two. Point number two okay. was psychographic profiling. Psychographic or... profiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. So just a a a behavioural profile. Of your ideal prospect now this really represents where the stone goes in the in the pond right in the middle so clearly nobody's going to be like that and uh because there's not an ideal one but everybody else will be related to that psychographic profile if people don't fit the psychographic profile i wouldn't spend any money engaging with them in any shape or form um uh just you're wasting your time and you know what guys if you know part of the process that we do is we create a one-page business plan and again, a one-page business plan is very, very simple. It's how much money do you want to make? How many products or services do you have to sell in order to make the money that you want to make? And I'm talking about net profit. Um, and then how often can you sell those? Can you sell them one a day, uh, one an hour, one a minute? Do you have to do 20 a year? Do you do two a month? Whatever. And that then underpins the whole brand bucket methodology because you start with the number of sales you need rather than engaging with the market and gaining you know 80 percent awareness day after recall we used to do after tv commercial we used to put people with clipboards on the street and say did you see this commercial and they go oh i'm not sure and you go okay and then some people say yes and then you get a you, you get a spontaneous result and then people say okay here's if i show you six commercials were any of these on television last night and they go yeah i remember seeing that one okay that was called prompted awareness this is how we used to trade broadcast oh my goodness what happens now is people wake up in the morning and they log on with their problem and they start to look for solutions. So what you've got to do is you've got to manage all of the people who are already looking for you. And I tell you this, Martin, I work with companies and I make them do this one page business plan. And I'm always shocked how few sales they have to generate. Um, you know, if you're selling toilet rolls, you've got to, you've got, you've got to make sure, uh, you know, there's enough to, to wipe a lot of bottoms across the UK. But the, the reality the reality of it, most businesses don't need to sell that much to have a very viable business. And 
if you start there and you what you do is you build up the marketing campaign to make sure that you get the results that drop down into the bottom of the bucket. And that's how the bucket works. Um, and that's why it's that shape, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. Good. So, this is so. genius. This is what I used to tell people in 2005 when I started my business. I um, I went to BNI. What I didn't know is that basically running a business is an investment of time, energy and money to generate profit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had loads of time, loads of energy. Didn't have a bucket to piss in is the truth. So I I joined like a BNI and then I would offer like a free consultation. This is exactly what I would tell people is like because people are desperate in their businesses because they haven't done this work where they haven't Correct. said, okay, this is what I need to generate. This is what I've got to sell. You know, what is my yield? How many of these can I sell? Um, and they haven't done that work. So that's why they're so desperate. But I'll be honest with you, I can't remember having that conversation once in the last 15 years. So that's genius that I've forgotten. Right. And, 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 and that's a fundamental part of our formula for marketing success, because I won't start spending your money until I know what I'm spending it to achieve. Right. It, this is you. Listen, the, the problem with there being no definition of brand in the market and everybody thinking of branding is it means that any agency can walk into a client and say, OK, what are you what am I here for? And they say, well, we want to increase we want to increase our brand presence. Fantastic. OK. Um, uh, how much money you've got? Well, we've got fifty thousand pounds. Fantastic. And what what what's your definition around? Well, we we think we need a new logo and a new look and feel, and we need to go into some new markets. Great. I'll do that for you for fifty thousand pounds. The next person comes in and they say, okay, you know, what's your budget? It's fifty thousand pounds. Okay. And what do you think a brand is? Well, I think a brand is that we need to really reinvigorate our systems and processes a little bit and just make them more more. We want to improve our customer experience. And they go, okay, well, we'll do that. That's how much? About fifty grand. We'll do that for fifty grand. And you you get ten different agencies who could all spend your money. So my approach is entirely different, which is okay. If you need to generate ten major contracts in the next year worth £150,000 each, and therefore you've got a 1.5 million turnover business, your marketing should be designed to generate 10 sales, nothing else. There's not, I'm not interested in anything else. I don't care who's heard of you. I don't care who likes you. I don't care how many pubs you can walk in and talk your name. I'm really not interested. The only thing I'm interested in is that I've got you 10 £150,000 contracts, or I've sold you uh, 60 sandwiches in a lunch hour, or I've I've helped you um, cut uh, 30 heads, or I've, I've made sure that the capacity in your hotel is sits around 80 to 83% so that you've got that little bit of flexibility of people come and go. You know, That's all I'm interested in. How many tables have you got? How many boxes have you got in the warehouse? How many deliveries are you taking? How many windows are you gonna fit? It's the same, it's the same. How many logons do you need? How many subscriptions do you need to sell? How many, insurance policies do you need to sell how much does it cost to sell to create the insurance policy how many do you need to sell to deliver the net profit that you'd like at the end of the year i had a really interesting conversation with a client recently is we'd put a plan together that they were going to generate two hundred fifty thousand pounds a month's worth of business in the apprenticeship world and suddenly the sales team delivered half a million in one month and i said what are you doing and they said what do you mean we sold a half a million. It's really exciting. I said, no, 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 no. The limit is 250. And they went, no, we, we've sold. And then lo and behold, I got a call saying we need to stop marketing for three months. Why? Because all the courses are full. Because we, we have to service this half a million. I go, okay. So you're going to have everybody now sitting around on their on their hands for the next three months while we wait for you to get the capacity again. It, listen, do not market 
what you are, are anything other than what you need to sell. You know, this is really a eat what you kill kind of message. Um, and marketing should be like that. The broadcast industry is not interested in that. Google want no. your money. The yes. TV channels want your money. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that, that's, that's my thing. Google want your money. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know that. Google want your money and they're very good at getting it. That's exactly why I tell very people. Very good at getting it. Yes. So here's the thing. This is where I started in my first sales job. I'm going to be talking to my first ever sales manager in a week or two. And he was a genius. He was brilliant. But when I went in and sat down, we did this whole, I mean, he was just brilliant. But I don't know what you, this was selling advertising, it was classified advertising in like trade press, like proper yeah, boiler yeah. room, old school, on the phone. Oh, love it. Um, yeah, it was really cool. But we, we, we sat down on the first day and he's like, well, what do you want to charge for these things? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I've just come through like your graduate recruitment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's yeah, my first yeah, day. Yeah. And he's like, because there's an opportunity here. He said, because your yield, they give us a yield for a page and this is what we have to generate. But yes. that was only 50% if we sold the whole page. So basically yes. what we did is we put together like an offer, whereas if you buy 12 months, then you get a 50% discount. And people yes. absolutely loved it. So within about six weeks, I was doing my target on repeat advertising. I mean, it was, oh, it was yes. absolutely yes. genius. Yeah. yeah. But this is, the, this is a major issue for sales and marketing is because and it creates this um it creates this desperation it's like it doesn't matter how much you sell it won't be enough because there right. there is no limit and it creates this right. de de desperation and then it creates this really wasteful marketing and then it creates these really awful leads that salespeople have to to to, yeah, to navigate and then it creates this bullying and this slimy salesperson culture this is genius, Barnaby. This is genius. And worse than that, Martin, these 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 buggers are incentivized to sell more. They get bonused on what they sell. Yes. Right? Not on the quality of what they sell, not on have they hit the net profit target. They just get bonused on what they sell. So they'll sell anything to anybody, and they know that customer service or after sales will clear up the flotsam and jetsam. It's a complete madness in my book. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, you, you know, okay. suffice to say what, what, what's going on in that business is changing now and they're becoming much more wild. Right. OK, so so we've got the two constituent elements. You've got the value proposition defined by the four B's. You've got the psychographic profile. So now the job is to get the the ideal prospect to buy from you. And this is where the brand bucket comes in. Now, the um, so let me, if it's okay with you, Martin, let me describe the six steps of the brand bucket because it solves your, your brand awareness issue. Um, so these six steps were first created for Saab. So um, the originator of this model, a gentleman called Stuart Ball, was the B of a large advertising agency called HBB, which became KHBB, which he sold to Saatchi and Saatchi in 1995 and started the agency that I then became the youngest MD of using the brand bucket. Saab asked Stuart in 1984 to come up with a, a way of strategically defining how people bought motor cars. And he was given a budget, he, he tells me, of £120,000 and 18 months to do a piece of research. And he ended up with this six-step engagement model, which when he presented it with, to Saab, they said, that's amazing. And indeed, the bucket itself uh, led to Top Gun. So if you're interested in that story, I'm quite happy to tell the story. Um, but what 
um, uh, and because the first commercial that resulted from the brand bucket was of a vegan fighter plane flying over a Saab. Um, and there were a number of those in a quarry and various other things. Anyway, they, they uh, originally approached Ridley Scott to shoot the commercial. That's how you did it in those days, in the heady days of advertising. And Ridley said, I'm really sorry, I'm in the middle of shooting a film, can't do it. But my brother, Tony, is, uh, is looking to break into films. If I oversee him, he's really good. Um, uh, um, if I oversee him, would you let him shoot the commercial? So he shot this Vigan fighter plane flying over a Saab. Um, and then the script for uh, Top Gun came out of Hollywood. And Tony had done a uh, kind of little nouveau film thing, Art Nouveau film, and this commercial. And he submitted it to Hollywood and got the job to shoot Top Gun, uh, shot Top Gun, and then went on to have a really uh, phenomenal career in film himself uh, alongside Ridley. So, and that's as a result of the, bu the bucket that I'm about to show you, the, the, or share with you. The, the, the bucket's been used on thousands and thousands of brands over the years. I personally have used it on over 500. Um, so, so the, what does it work? I've, I've, I've done very well out of it. So, and, it, and so have, um, a lot of other businesses at the last, um, analysis, which was probably about 11 years ago, somebody worked out that it had generated 1.7, uh, trillion pounds of net profit. No, sorry, 1.7 billion, sorry, 1.7 billion pounds of net profit, um, which somebody then brightly said would make it the seventh largest country in the world or something, some stupid, stupid figure at the time. Now, bear in mind this a long time ago. So it works. So how does it work? Well, let's let's assume that there's a, a, a top to bottom model. So I have to narrate this so you understand. There are six steps, one lead. The first step is you've got to raise awareness that you've existed. So this is your brand awareness, Martin. The first thing you'll do is you've got to tell the market that you are there. That's pretty damn obvious. The challenge, however, is if you spend all of your marketing money doing that, the only thing that uh, that prospects can do is say they've heard of you. And you go, fantastic. And they go, I've heard of you. And you go, that's brilliant. And they go, I've heard of you. Okay, and now what do you do? I don't know. I've just heard of you. Now, bear in mind that right today, we receive on average 18,000 marketing messages a day, of which 4,000 are entirely new. The fact that you've generated I've heard of you amongst your prospect has about a lifespan of about 30 minutes before they've forgotten you and moved on to something else in their life. Now, of course, this is part of the fraud of the broadcast industry because they say, oh, well, you can't afford for them to forget you. So all you've got to do is you've got to stay in front of them all the time. So you've got to be on the bus sides and on the tube gates and you've got to be at the exhibitions and you've got to be online and you've got to be doing pop-ups. and You've got to do all this sort of thing because if if you're not there, they're, they're not going to remember you. This is a fraud, everybody. It's a fraud because what you now need to do is you need to build on that awareness and take people through a journey to enable them to buy from you. So I wake up in the morning, I have identified a need, a problem, a want or whatever, and 88% of the time will go online to Google to check it out or Amazon. 88% of buying decisions today start online. Okay, so when you're in the online arena, what you've got to do is build awareness. Now, how do you build awareness? Well, you've got very little at your disposal. You've got a logo, you've got a look and feel, 
you've got an image, you've got a tonality, you might have sound, those sorts of things are what you're available. And these are what you're talking about, I think, Martin, when it comes to brand awareness, that's, uh, and they're expensive to get, um, but you need those. And the trick that we adopt in our business is we, we make a brand property famous a brand property so my proudest work that i've ever done is for one of is is for this i don't know if you've ever seen it uh, but this is uh the icon of a top uh 10 uh charity in the united kingdom uh marie curie we made the daffodil famous uh back in 2002 2003 and what i do is I take the center of your value proposition, the thing you want to be famous for, and you find some kind of iconography that alludes to that fame. And you, you become famous for that. Um, there are many examples of fame. So uh, if you're familiar with Tiffany, they have a very particular color box, which is patented. They're famous for that. If you sit in a Bentley, it has a Bentley smell, which is a patented smell that they squirt under the seat every time you have your car serviced your Bentley service, so when you get in, it feels like the new Bentley, et cetera, et cetera. These are all patented brand properties. My favorite of all, of course, is the Coca-Cola bottle, um, which is um, amazingly in the original brief in uh, uh, 1915 for the new piece of glassware, it said, please design a piece of glassware that when smashed still looks like a Coke bottle. And that's why the Coke bottle has that very distinctive shape. And you try smashing one and you'll show it to people and they go, oh, that's a Coke bottle straight away. That is a brand property. So what you need to do is build into your business a single iconic thing that then you use that in every single utterance that you go with. Um, you may be shocked to know what mine is. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit weird, but you'll see that my cufflinks are buckets. Um, there's buckets behind me. Everything I have is buckets. You cannot, I have lamps that are made of buckets. I have cushions with buckets on. You, you can't exit from my world without going, I think this guy has a thing about buckets, right? Okay, I don't need you to know anymore. That's brand awareness. That's at the top of the bucket. So I've raised awareness. I've got you to have heard of me. And I'm quite happy if people say, oh, he's, you know, in marketing, have you ever spoken to the bucket man? Yeah, that's fine, because that's me. There isn't anybody else. Okay, so that's one way of creating uniqueness. So having created awareness, you now need to take them on the journey. The next step, so imagine you've written awareness at the top of the page. The next thing you write underneath it now is the words image match. So what you need to do is create an image around that awareness, which your ideal prospect will love. Now, the advantage of having a psychographic profile, so if you know they like being outdoors and they have an aspiration to make a lot of money or whatever, or they want to feel safe or they want to look good or whatever it is that you've decided is part of their psychographic profile, you build an image around your brand, around your business, that when the ideal prospect sees it, they go, I really like that because it's like me. And the moment you do that, people want to have a relationship with you. And so and now these two steps are simply about engagement and they are simply emotional. So step one, raise awareness, get people to recognize you and be familiar with you th through some sort of brand, brand iconography that alludes to your, your, the center of your value proposition. And the second step is build an image around it. So when you're on, so when I go on the website, it feels like me. When I open your brochures, it feels like me. When I walk into your shop, it feels like me. Um, it, when I drive your vehicle, it feels like me. When I go to your hotel, it feels like me. You've got to design it around your ideal prospect. So the image that you're matching is to that of the prospect. 
Now, when I came into the industry 35 years ago, I was taught to forget the prospect and build an image around the business owner. And therefore, because there was so little choice, people had to kind of put up and shut up uh, and do with your image. That is not the way we buy anymore. We get to choose. We're in full control as buyers. We go to where we feel most comfortable. So that's step number two. So I've raised awareness through iconography. I've now created an image dimension, and that can be your words, music, sounds, visuals, whatever, all around your brand. So people say, I've heard of you and I like you because you're like me. And if they want to continue the relationship, they then say, what is it you actually do? And if anybody's come across that. Uh, and this is when we move to the third step. So if you're going down the page, you write the words facts match. Because what they are actually asking is they've got in their head a need, a want, a desire. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to match what you're offering to what their list of requirements are. Now, um, the reason why we call this facts match is because the fact belongs to the buyer, not to the seller. So where most businesses go wrong now is this is when they bombard you. They say, what do you do? And they and then people get bombarded with features, 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 features. We do this, we do this, we're going that. We've got this number of offices and this number of staff and this number of lawyers and this number of different ways of doing accounting. We've got this and that and blah, blah, blah. We've got this kind of feature. It does that and it does that, et cetera, et cetera. And it's got this. And actually the poor old uh, prospect who's found you and really likes you is really punch drunk with all these amazing features that you've got and they don't know what to do. This is the bit where you have to sell your features, uh, sell your benefits, sorry. So you'd need to take your features and turn them into benefits. So, and the interesting thing is the clue I'm afraid is in the question. What do you do for me? Um, because actually people say, what do you do? And you answer it with features. But what they're actually asking is, what do you do for me? They just dropped the for me. So you have to assume now that when anybody ever says, what do you do? The question they're actually asking is, what do you do for me? So you have to answer it and say, well, what we do for people who buy from us is we give them this and we give them that and they get this and they'll have that. And this will be what the, how their lives will be different. That's the language you have to have around the journey at that particular time at Fax Match. At that people, then that allows people to say, actually, it's not for me. Uh, I, uh, I'm sorry I asked, or they go, actually, that's exactly what I've been looking for. And they go, fantastic. So we've now got halfway into the bucket. We've got awareness, image match, and facts match. So they've matched to what they're looking for. When you research people at this point, they then say, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. The prospect, very excited. They go, I've got all the information I require. When I need somebody like you, I'll come back. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever heard that phrase before. When I need somebody like you, I'll come back. And if you think about it, when you did hear it, did they actually come back? Hmm, I can't remember if they came back or not. So this is where the final fraud of the broadcast industry kicks into play because they go, aha, we have the answer for this. And you go, what is it? They go, well, what you've got to do is you've got to keep advertising. You've got to keep PPC. You've got to keep SEOing. You've got to keep going to the exhibitions. You've got to keep doing the direct marketing. You've got to keep email blasting. You've got to keep getting your sales guys going out there and knocking doors down, all that sort of thing. Because if they, when they come back and you're not there, they're not going to buy from you. And this was a big shock to the system. 
Um, and if you subscribe to the broadcast industry, then this is where you really despise me because actually the formula at this point has a particular effort. And that is, and I know you're doing this, Martin, and you, you will be familiar with this, but having a raised awareness, got people to like you because you're like them and told them what you're going to give them, you then offer them a test drive. And actually what we're doing right now, we call this response. So the fourth step is awareness, image match, facts match, response. So the next, what you're looking for is a visceral response from the prospect. So you offer them a test drive. So you allow them to have a go of your product or service. And I have to say, I've never, ever come across a business that cannot offer a test drive. The problem you've got with this is it's expensive. It's a really expensive part of the journey because you have to lay on the product. You have to set it up. You have to get let people go away with it. You have to cover it with insurance. You have to do all sorts of different things. So what you need to do then is make sure that the first three steps qualify everybody out of your test drive. So the image matches are very particular. The awareness is very particular. Only put it in the places where you know your prospect's likely to be. Uh, make sure the image matches are right. Make sure that, you, that people have really understood what you're going to give them and then give them a go. And the great thing about running a test drive is people embed it in the way they do things. And so you make sure the, the test drive is long enough for people to really get an understanding. So a test drive in a car might be enough to drive it down the road or back. It might be enough to take it away for the weekend and bring it back or whatever. By the end of that, they will know whether they want that car. If you're running a subscription service, maybe you run it for a month or three months. and then. But there comes a point where you remove the test drive. Now, when you do that, it's a, this is the only time to generate the purchase. Because what you're going to do is you're going to walk in and say, look, we've been giving you this test drive. We're not in the business of giving it for nothing. So what we're going to do is we're going to remove it from you. And they go, no, you can't do that. I've told everybody I'm doing it. I've, I've, I've had a dinner party with your food and, and people think I'm a great cook. And, and if you take it away, et cetera, et cetera. So great. I'm so sorry. We can't keep providing you these products and services for nothing. We're not in the business of that. It was, it was just a test drive. You can't take it away because what you're doing now is you're breaking the true relationship. It's been unconditional because it wasn't any money involved. So they said, well, what do we do about this? And I said, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. Oh, I do have one idea. And they go, oh, what's that? And they said, well, you give us money and we'll carry on with this relationship. And of course, at that point, they hardly even ask the price most of the time because during the qualification process, they've already decided they can afford it and all that sort of thing. So. The purchase takes place after step four, awareness, image match, fax match, response, which is equivalent of a test drive, purchase takes place. For most marketing people, job done. They've taken the suspect, they've turned it into a prospect, they've taken it from cold to warm to hot, 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 and you've now converted them. So most marketing people say, job done, we're off to lunch, and they don't come back for the rest of the day. What we actually found in the research back in, in 1984, 95 is actually this is where people really understand the value of the brand. Because by giving you the money, the relationship has now been absolutely quantified in terms of time, money, effort, energy. Are you absolutely delivering on what you said you would do? Um, and so the next step is what we call usage. So under response, you would write usage. Now, usage is you have to make the experience of being a buyer amazing. So what you need to do is sit with your systems and processes and say, okay, when they open the box, 
what's the surprise? What's the extra bit that they hadn't thought of that we have? What's it? Is there an extra widget? Is there an extra thing? Because you know that, you know, when you buy a chair, it needs four feet underneath. Don't just give them four feet, give them eight feet, because then when the four feet wear out, they can put the next, next set on and stuff like that. Just extra stuff, cost nothing. So you make the experience of being an owner of the product or service amazing. And if you get all that right, the final step in the, in the model underneath usage is loyalty. Now, I can't tell you how few businesses add value to the relationship on an ongoing basis. And the reason why that is, is because the bean counters kick in. They say, actually, in order for us to preserve the profits, we need minimum intervention. So we're going to make it impossible to find our customer service number on our website. We're going to, when you ring, dial one for this, dial two for that, dial three for the other, dial four to hear these three options again. Um, it's a nightmare. Actually linking in with the organization for big organizations is designed to put you off so that you don't. And it does not ensue loyalty. And it's no surprise that people are switching brands left, right and center, because when you're being enticed at the top of the bucket, it's a much more pleasant experience than being at the bottom of it for most organizations. So we put loyalty on there. And loyalty is defined by saying thank you. Thank you for being one of our buyers for paying our mortgages, for helping us run our business, to employ people, to make society better, to pay taxes, etc. Thank you for that. And here's a little bit of extra value. We've discovered one of our, 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 our uh, buyers has found this feature that works really well, and it gives you this kind of outcome. We thought we'd send you that information a bit free. We'll run YouTube channels, whatever. It's really easy to do. So the six steps are raise awareness, match to the image of the ideal prospect, tell them what you're going to give them through fax match, let them have a go through a test drive. They will then buy when you try and withdraw the test drive, uh, then make the experience of being an owner amazing. And then finally, look after them on an ongoing basis, low cost intervention, just keep them adding value, keep saying thank you to people. Don't contact people three weeks before their annual subscriptions up and say, by the way, your annual subscription and you haven't spoken to them all year. That doesn't work. It causes attrition. So what you need to do throughout the year, say, we thought of this, we thought of that, had this, done that. They're the six steps. Now, if you put your marketing plan alongside those things and have activities at each level, then there's a clear journey from being unaware to being a long-term loyalist of your value proposition. So we've matched the value proposition to the ideal prospect using six steps. This is taking place every single day for literally thousands of businesses that we've worked with over the last 35 years. Okay, good, I'm back. Okay, good. excellent. So I'm understanding now. So the reason that you're not interested in, in the perception of people who aren't customers, the broader market, is because you're not in business to satisfy those people. You're in business no. to have those commercial relationships. So that makes absolute sense. I mean, the whole thing makes absolute sense. I can't, I do have one quite big question, which I'm... Oh. Okay, well, we'll come back to that as well. There are so many things that business owners don't get. I don't think that business owners get, to, to, to in your kind of language, they don't get that the purpose of being in business is to have these commercialized relationships. They, they don't get that. They really think, and this isn't a million, uh, well, it is 
diametrically opposed to the point, but it also isn't a million miles away. They think the point of being in business is to make great products. And the, the, the reason that's an issue is because it's great products in their minds rather than great products in the minds of their customers, um, which Indeed. is what it needs to be. So I'm 100% with you on that. Um, I, 100%, like, I don't know if it was true, but Business Link did a study. They found it was 17 times more cost-effective to sell to an existing customer than it is to um, find yourself a new customer. So, so I, I think the question I have is, it's not really a question for this situation because it doesn't matter because I'm saying that I want people to understand marketing better and I want them to be, to, to be happier to invest in marketing and all that stuff. But I was thinking the other day, why am I doing that? Because they're not my target market. Like by my definition, a target market is a group of people with a problem that they're happy to spend money to satisfy, which goes into your definition, which is then that I can have commercial relationships with. So, um, so it's interesting. But there's so much that so many businesses don't do that is, you know, marketing for me is just common sense squared. And, and everything, you've obviously spent a lot of time formulating this so that it works when you go from customer to customer. But essentially it is that. It's it's be out there. Like I think yours is the most what is yours the most it's the most psychological certainly of any kind of process that I've that I've spoken to anyone about. So that's interesting. I agree with everything you say. Okay, so here's the big question. I'm gonna open the can of worms. I no, don't no. understand why you object so much then to Robert's thing which is the marketing is the process of buying, winning, finding, winning, keeping customers profitably. I don't think it's a million miles away from what you're saying. Um, okay, so the, the, there is the, the big difference. The big difference is I would have agreed 100% with that statement 20 years ago. Okay. And... My my challenge, I think, on that piece of thinking is selling brand today. I, I bear in mind that every single day I am paid by big corporations uh, and indeed startups and everything in between to generate commercial relationships. And the big piece that I don't agree with on that is that big piece of finding right uh, okay. finding, finding is um finding is a, a a hangover from the broadcast industry world in okay. other words I, i'm going to spread my message to as many people as possible in the hope that somewhere in that great mass of unawares there's some people who are in my market that all of the evidence right now if you look at the Gartner research if you look at um, CB research all of the evidence is now that people are coming into the market as and when they're ready to buy so it's not about finding people it's about them finding you and it's a fundamental difference in strategic terms of how you should use your marketing and that's where I think there's a, a chasm between that statement i'm not saying that necessarily robert pursues that I, I, um but but um that statement is 
I'm very, very uncomfortable. Of course, once you get found, then you've got to do the nurturing and the, and the keeping and the loyalty and all that sort of thing. So yes, that, yes. that's still, still true. But I think the fundamental difference is that I'm entirely an inbound strategic person now, whereas I think Robert is still subscribing to the outbound um, methodologies um, and um, is still supporting an industry that is essentially dying on its ass um, as, as, as we witness it. You know, TV is softer than it's ever been before as a marketplace. Radio is really soft. And uh, if you you want a teenager to run your marketing, then go to a digital agency. Yeah, because they're just kids who have fallen out of, weren't any good at art and are now doing code and, 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 and spreadsheets and things like that. They have no idea what they're doing. I mean, I think the... A digital agency is the equivalent of what, what a hairdresser is. You know, if you're not good at anything, you become a hairdresser or a, or a, or a you know sort of thing. And I, I'm being purposefully, uh, um, you know, brutal. challenging on brutal on that because the the every digital agency I work with seems to have no strategic competence of any description. They're great at reading the numbers, but because and listen, you're a Google Google fan. Google are changing the algorithm every I never said I was a Google hour. fan. When did I ever say I was right, a Google fan? Well, all right. Okay. So we were talking about Google. So so um, Google are changing the algorithm every minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they are, they are trying to influence the marketplace all of the time. Um, digital people are playing catch up at best with what Google are doing. Google are far smarter than them. YouTube are far smarter than them. You know, over the part of Google. But, you know, so... So these kids are just flailing about doing stuff and hiding behind the fact, well, it changed, the algorithm changed at nine o'clock and we didn't know that happened and blah, blah, blah. And they're hiding around that. Just give us as much money as you've got and we'll waste it for you. It's just fundamentally at odds with somebody who's been trading the boards for 35 years. It just, I just can't let it happen. It's it just, you know, my clients, that does not happen. Um, it Good. certainly doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. And I think you're right. I mean, I've also developed like a, a, a steps to implementing effective marketing. So my steps are also six. The first is situational analysis. The second is objectives. The third is positioning, which is, I think, where you are. The fourth step is proactive marketing. The fifth step is sales and the sixth step is measurement. So it becomes a cycle. It goes around. So measurement sure. feeds back into your situational sure. analysis. But the fact of the matter is that the positioning, well, the situation, like knowing where you are and what you want to achieve and how you position yourself is the piece because you're absolutely right. You can, like, God help anyone who's knocking on doors in 2021. That's just insane cold calling, um, you know, all of this stuff is insane because like you say, if anyone has an issue in their lives, they're not even thinking about it for 10 minutes. They're not speaking to anyone about it. They're going to their computer and they're searching Google for solutions to that problem. So, and they are at that point, what I call motivated buyers, you know, they are doing something about addressing this issue that they have. And 100%, that's when you want them to find your business. So I think the finding is is the weak link in that. But I don't know if it is the – maybe it is the chasm that, that you say it is. Maybe you're just more offended by the finding than, than yeah, the, I, no, I, I, I am. 
Yeah, the fight. Yeah, I, I'm offended by it because I know it leads to wastage of money. It means yes, take the marketing budget and blast it out as effectively as you can against the the so-called target market. Whereas I'm much more, I'm much more akin to to the stallholder of the original marketplace, which led to the concept of marketing, of course, which yes. is you you're in a market. You lay out your stall, you put all your apples and pears and your oranges and your bananas out on the table. You lay it out beautifully. And then people who want apples, pears and oranges come up to your stall and say, can I have apples? Can I have pears? That's, I think, much more, much closer to where marketing strategically is right now and the way the system works of buying than the idea of uh, you running up to people who are walking down the street with a shopping bag and say, uh, you know, Buy these oranges off me. Uh, uh, what, sorry, I, 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 I'm just. Well, you've got a shopping bag and you're on a high street. Buy these oranges off me. You, how can you live your life without oranges? Well, actually, I'm, I'm, I don't. I'm not shopping for oranges. Don't care. Just have oranges. Listen, and while I'm giving you oranges, I'll give you pears as well. You know, blah blah. blah. That's that's yes. that's what 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 it feels like. This idea of going out and blasting people. You know, every time I log on to you know Google, you know, even Google have evolved something, but. You know, the, the way they changed it, they used to blast you every time you logged on with ads at the top and ads down the side and this and that and the other and pop-ups and all that sort of thing. People hate it. They just switch it all off. Yeah. Um, they don't want to be. So because they're there for a reason. I'm here to go and decide where my next holiday is or or get my car serviced or buy something for dinner or arrange a restaurant for my friends tomorrow evening. Or They, they absolutely are actively looking and then what you've got to do is you've got to have a presence in the market in front of the people you know are going to buy from you. you go oh there's those guys with the daffodil again or the tick or the this or the apple or the the whatever every, every single brand that i work with has got an icon which which over time if you keep seeing it uh builds familiarity at the top of the bucket so then you go oh, okay yeah. so when you see it and that, you know you know it's what meerkats do it's what what opera singers do for the insurance market i mean the insurance market is the insurance market but the way they differentiate themselves is at the very top of the bucket they send them uh they they, they have meerkats and opera singers and you know and they take that to the and dogs and god knows what else that's where yeah. advertising has been relegated to now is just literally get familiar with the thing so that when you log on and go oh there's that meerkat guys i wonder what they're up to you know it's it's yes. it's, it's that it's such a shame whereas when I came into the industry, it was where the new news was. It's where the new products were. It's where the new innovations were. People were excited by the commercial breaks. Now, yes. the thing we do is fast forward, switch off, make a cup of tea, you know, blah, blah, hold the program, whatever. And nobody, nobody cares about advertising anymore. Um, no. And I was thinking about that time in advertising when Saab were putting out those ads with the Jet Fighters and hmm. Guinness were putting out those amazing surf ads and... You know, yeah, advertising yeah, yeah. was exciting and people were worked you know, on that as well. It was a talking point in those days, you know, what well, yeah. even before yeah. I was even an adult or working or engaged in sales or marketing or anything, people would talk about the ads because people would the ads would be almost newsworthy, you know. Um there's yeah. something else that you said that I hundred percent agree with, which is like people talk about, there's so much shit spoken in sales and marketing. So one of them is about this sales process, about taking them on this journey or funneling them. So the funnel, like you say, is just about dispensing waste because nobody makes it through the Correct. funnel. It's all it's about. The, the, yeah. yeah. Um, but this idea, I don't think I've ever spent, I don't think I've ever spent more than a second thinking about buying something. 
you know, I might think about when I'm going to buy it and I might think about, but literally if I see something and I want it, the decision's made and now, you know, I'll do my best to resist for as long as I can. So this idea that there's a sales process or there's a buying process, like I've been involved in selling IT to insurance companies. Okay, there's a buying process if you're selling to a corporation. But even in that process, the individuals who are engaged in that process will decide we want this one or we want that one. Do you know what I mean? And so a lot of what you're saying, even though, what do you call it? Psycho profiling. Psychographics, yeah. yeah. Psychographics, yeah. So it is that much more about psychology. But, but I, I think, Martin, I think you might believe you make the decision in an instant. But I'm telling you that instant takes place at the end of the fourth step. I don't doubt that for a second, but I'm you saying... You have already been unknowingly through the first four steps if yes. I'm in control of it. If yes. I'm not in control of it, you've still been through those four steps and actually you you know more about my product than I do. Yes. That's often the case. You go, in, you, know, yes. and you go into somewhere, I know it does that, and you go, oh, no, I don't think it does. And you go, it does, because I've already researched it. I've looked online. I've been to the peer groups. I've looked at TripAdvisor. I've done Trustpilot. I've read all the reviews. I've done all that sort of stuff before I walked in to buy this from you. So I know yes. this to be true. What are you doing about the fact that when you do it at X, X speed, it stops? What are you doing about that? Well, it doesn't stop at that. I said, well, it does, because if you look at all the reviews, that's what everybody says. So what are you doing about it? Well, we don't believe that's a problem. Okay, well, I'm not going to buy from you. And then if if they then match up with all the first four steps of the bucket, um, essentially then uh, you're going to buy immediately without any, because you've made the decision. And actually... Uh, the interesting thing about um, uh, the Gartner research, or it's now the CB, at the point of first contact, people have made 57% of the decision to buy. That means they're more likely to buy from you than not buy from you at first point of contact. So telling me how long you've been going and how great your offices are and how many staff you are, or telling me this is all the gamut of products that you sell in your front page of your website is the most stupid thing you can do. Because what they want to do is they think they're at the till and therefore they want to buy the product from you when they visit your website. So again, uh, because they put in a, they thought, I've got a problem. I've logged on to Google. Google's come up on my screen. I've gone to the little box at the top. I've put in a keyword. There's been lots of responses. I've read them all. I've kind of assimilated them all. I've clicked on one. I've then gone to something else. I've gone to a landing page and blah, blah. And then I clicked on the landing page. I'm now at your website. I'm already five, six steps into the brand bucket at your front page. Why are you blitzing me with, with, with nonsense? which is of no interest to me. And I probably already know it about you anyway, and I don't really care anyway because it's about you. The website yeah. should be a site for your test drives. So you should say, thank you for arriving. You are exactly who we want. Thank you very much. Now you can have one of these or one of these or one of these, and this is what you can do. Download the paper, book the, you know, book of an appointment, do this, talk to an expert, whatever. So if you visit all of the websites that I've built in the last five years, they're all booking sites for test drives. Uh, and they've all got bits and pieces about them. But, you know, they've still got the image match dimension. They've got all the facts and they've got the iconography and they've got all of that. And they all look lovely. But you can do something the moment you arrive at the website because it's that is the equivalent of ringing the little bell of the door when you walk into the shop and it goes ding-a-ling-a-ling. -a -ling, and then 
everything's on display and I go, right, I've come in for one of those and one of those and one of those. And then you go to the till. That's all people want to do. It's why Amazon's so successful. It's why eBay's so successful. And in fact, it's probably why Google's successful because when you log on to Google, it doesn't say, hello, we're Google. We have fancy offices. We employ young people where we paint all the pipes and all this sort of thing. We have holidays and we're all really lovely people and we're really with it. It doesn't say anything. What have you ever read that about Google on that? However, if you go on their LinkedIn profile, if you go on their Facebook, if you go on their Instagram, if you go on TikTok, that's where you live out the way you are and what you are. That's strategically, so now executing what we're talking about. The top of the bucket is characterized by having a presence on LinkedIn. If you if you if you put Oracle into LinkedIn, you can find out everything you need to know about that business on LinkedIn. It's got videos, it's got speeches from the CEO, it's got the company reports, it's got everything you need to know on LinkedIn. Get to their website and it says, what, what do you want to buy from us? This is critical. If you go onto booking.com to book a hotel, it's built around um, uh, uh, Caldini's influence. It's got all of the influential things, short supply, X number of people visited this in the last 48 hours, et cetera, et cetera. You think, crikey, I need to book a hotel. I better go on and do that. There was only sex, a certain number of rooms. This is where you can go. If you stay here, you can go visit this local thing. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because it does everything I need it to do at that point of the decision-making process um, until people understand that. And it might be worth just just what if we've got two, two minutes is to the reason why it's shaped like a bucket while it's, it's that shape is because we've measured the drop off rates at each of the six steps. And this is how you finally derive your plan. So to get and yet you always start at the bottom of the bucket, never at the top. See, the broadcast industry wants you to start at the top. Uh, and spend all your money there. Let's start at the bottom. So what if you want one user of your product or service to get one user, you need to run on average, three to five test drives. So you're looking at a conversion rate of one in three to one in five. If you're converting at worse than one in five, you haven't qualified your test drive takers well enough, you haven't screened out enough people. And if you're converting at better than one in three, I don't believe you unless you're an undertaker, because as an undertaker, I will get you all in the end, right? Yeah. So that's a fact. Yeah, but that's the only industry that I know where it's it's, a, it's effectively a pipe. Another another piece of nonsense in the sales industry, a pipeline. Really? Come on, get a grip. Um, and um, so you get to get one one user, you need to run between three and five test drives. To get them, you need ten times that number of people to visit your website. And uh, so you need 30 to 50 people to visit the website of which you're going to convert 10% to a test drive of which you're going to convert one in three to one in five to, a, to a, 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 a buyer. And then finally, to get the 30 to 50, you do whatever it takes to generate enough activity. So all you're focused on is 30 to 50 clicks to your website. So you're generating and then you can do that however you want. And I don't care how you do that. But please don't do any more than 30 to 50 clicks. Don't. You know, so if you get 10 million impressions, I don't think that's impressive. Uh, uh, but if you if you get 30 to 50 clicks onto your website, I think that's impressive. And so what you do is you test campaigns, media amongst in all the places that your ideal prospect is likely to be. So if they like outdoor living, then they're probably being outdoor sites. If they if they're uh, if they if they're uh intellectuals they might like reading books you know whatever it doesn't matter your psychographic profile will help you define the ecosystem 
in which you place your brand property so they get familiar with it. You then populate that with uh, sense-making messaging and blogs and information. So as they're going through the buying process, they go, oh, yes, I hadn't thought of that, and I hadn't thought of that, and I hadn't thought of that, and that's really useful. And it's attached to this brand property. And they go, it's funny, whenever I go into the market, there's always these guys with the with the banana or the, the, the flower or whatever, or it doesn't matter what the property is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go and check them out. And then they visit your website and they go, great, if you've got it this far, you should take one of our test drives. That's the methodology. That's harnessing the 57% inbound people that are already heading towards your business. And you know what? When I sit with a business plan and I realize what it is, I say it is very unusual for me not to be able to say probably right now, anybody, everybody to fill that business plan is on a keyboard somewhere in the UK looking for you as a solution. Well, on a keyboard right now. So all we've got to do is build a, a pathway to your value proposition via awareness, image match, facts match, test drive, and then and then help them convert. And that's where the salespeople come in because marketing people don't ask for money, they're not very good at it. So therefore that conversion thing, and then carry on that journey. Um, and don't have pre-sales, sales and after sales, utter nonsense, different relationships, different types of people, different motivations. Have an effectively an account management structure which manages prospects into the bucket, through the bucket, through the test drive, through the purchase, through the usage, into long-term loyalty. Have somebody who manages that from a relationship point of view or build a system using a, a HubSpot or a Salesforce or whatever that is written in such a way that I just feel like you care about me as a buyer all of the time from top to toe. That is brand. Good. I get it. And I think you and I have experienced the same issues like pipelines. People just get fat and lazy on pipelines, you know, and this is, I mean, this goes to my people make a, so I tell people that the most powerful close in the world ever is no. So if you've got 20 people sitting on the fence, you start telling people, no, they get off the fence pretty quickly. Either they were never interested to do it or they really wanted to do it and you hadn't given them the motivation. So, so that's true. A hundred percent true. And sales, sales is, sales is, you know, it's just really poorly conceived because yes. in my experience, what salespeople really need to be doing is making it easier for people to buy. But to what buy, they exactly typically right. do is get in the way of, of actually of that sale happening, which is just awful. We've gone for another two time. hours. Oh, no, we haven't. We've gone for an hour and 45 minutes again. How do we do this? How do we do this? <laughs> well, we do it because I think from entirely different perspectives, I suppose, no, I've come from sales. And that's the other thing that I wanted to say about this positioning, this being found, is that the first 10 years of my career were in sales. And I was selling to marketing people. I was selling advertising at the beginning. I sold exhibitions. I sold conferences. I sold events. I sold, in the end, I sold big IT solutions and stuff. And I was one of those kind of hunter-gatherer salespeople. I yeah. did my own marketing. And it never occurred to me once in those 10 years that all the time I was out looking for people, there were probably people out looking for me. And they would never Absolutely. have found me because I was never there. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't no. positioned to no. be found. That was probably just before the internet got to be, obviously, the Goliath that it is now. But the positioning is... 
Like it's the difference between phoning somebody up and saying, you don't know me, but I'm hoping I might be able to help you. And somebody mm. phoning you up and saying, can you Absolutely help? Right. You know, it's, Correct. it's, it's, yeah, diametrically opposed. And, so and actually, and the other thing that's interesting about that is even organizations that have re recognized that and created campaigns, the, the, the bit that comes next hasn't changed. So they still get sold to. So they get, they ring up and they get sold to instead of saying, okay, um, you know, what can I do to help you carry on on this journey? That's not what yes. salespeople do. They don't do that. They say, oh, you know, you're ringing about the XYZ 3000. Correct. Oh, well, let me tell you about the XY 3000. They go, no, 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 no. The reason why I'm ringing you is I've decided to buy the XY 3000. Yeah, but yes. before I can tell it to you, I need to tell you what it's all about because I'm a salesperson and it has this and it does that. And do you need right. to do this? I go, no, no, no. I've done all that work. I've freaking well rang you, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And this goes on and all the people. time. Don't put salespeople on the end of those calls. It's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So salespeople, somebody I'm hoping to speak to shortly on this process, he's too busy being successful at the moment to talk to me. Um, but he's he was when I knew him, he was a sales trainer. And he said that sales comes from the word, the Norse word, selja, which means to help or to assist. Yeah. And I think that's what salespeople should be. They should Correct. literally, I mean, I've got a whole thing, but they should literally be making friends with people. Like 99% of the sales I've made have been about relationship in my life. Um, making it easy for people to buy and something else is that I say. So that makes sense. Okay, so here's one last big question then, which is the big issue people have with marketing um, is that people are seen to be pushing, like driving consumerism, you know, selling things that don't need to be sold, uh, don't need to be bought, you know, contributing to the environmental damage that we're doing to the planet, um, selling in excess. So because you are identifying the actual need of the business, does that mean that what you're doing is environmentally friendly marketing? Is, I mean... I, 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 I have never, ever thought that. Okay. Um, or, or, or thought it. So let me just... Let me just um, so let me frame it slightly I, I differently because this is an issue for me Sometimes I talk about myself being a revolutionary communist in these conversations. But right. I think what I'm really saying is that, I, that I'm like an environmentally, like the rampant consumerism that's going on in the world is clearly an ugly and damaging thing. And I don't see myself as contributing to that, even though I'm in marketing. Um, so, so that's what I want to say. This rampant consumerism is damaging to the planet. How can you can you detach yourself from that by having this approach? Um, may, maybe um, I I haven't uh, taken the thinking that level, uh, and there's lot, lots of reasons why. And in fact, I've I've uh, I've worked on cigarette counts. I've done you know sorts of things. So so my moral barometer is is and. Um, is 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 not something I've used to judge the, the work. There, are, the thing I really never really wanted to work on was children's toys. It's the only thing I had a thing about because I think that was real adopting pester power uh, inappropriately. Um, so I've never taken that extreme to say, okay, if we 
if we only uh, um if we only sell to need right and therefore um does that then have an impact on consumerism so that i think is what the, the, the question is the challenge i have back to you is okay um life is pretty rubbish for most people right and that's in the west let's forget about you know in other in, in other huge swathes of the planet where life is even more rubbish um it is a challenge it's a fight for survival and i think what um business has done and 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 is it is has it has enabled people to enjoy an improved quality of life now your and my definition of quality of life are going to be different and actually it's never going to be the same as anybody else's so i don't necessarily um believe oh i so, so what i do believe is people only buy what they want to buy i don't think they buy what they don't want to buy so which and the term consumerism suggests that people buy stuff they don't want to buy and I don't believe that. And I'm very David Ogilvy about this. Um, I believe people only buy what they want to buy. Now, they may end up buying stuff that is useless, that is not very environmental, that is short term. But I, my, one of my favorite brands is Disney. Um, I am absolutely a Disney fanatic um, uh, alongside my, my paleontology. Um, it's one of the best expressions of brand. Disney, in all intents and purposes, is only about selling pleasure. Yeah, and there are a lot of brands that are in the business of selling pleasure. Now, that pleasure might come from a, a Twinkie, right? I have no idea why Twinkies were invented. Uh, it's just an astonishing creation. The whole of Americans love Twinkies. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't know if you've ever eaten one, but you might as well pour two kilogram bag of sugar in your mouth. They are disgusting, right? Um, I don't know why... Uh, um, people want to live on burgers. I don't know why people smoke, you know, all those sorts of things. But that's my, for those people that do do that, that improves their their pretty desperate lives um, for a millisecond, for a half a second, you know. And I, I don't have a problem with that, to be honest. And if people ask me to say, look, I want to sell a product that I think will improve the quality of it, of the people who buy it for it, their lives for a, for a short time, a long time, it doesn't matter. And in the same way as I don't understand why people buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis, I just don't understand it. A car's a car. Why? You, that's just that's excess to the point of ridiculous. Why people buy ten million pound homes that they can only live one room at a time? You know, I don't get any of that. But that doesn't mean I don't want to live in a society where that can't happen because some people want to do that. So I don't share your resistance to consumerism. I don't think. Um, marketing is the sole arbitrator of that either i think my job is to help people tell their story in a way that's engaging for people who might want to participate in that story um i think you might then argue well when maybe vcs should be criticized for putting money into businesses that shouldn't exist but they've seen their ways of making the money that investors shouldn't be that banks shouldn't be lending money to people who could ill afford it and are going to produce something where do you draw the line i just think the question you've asked is a tough one to lay at the door of a discipline, a business discipline like marketing. Um, I see marketing as a process, a system for enabling a, a producer of a product or a service to get it in the hands of their buyers and fulfill a net profit target and, and nothing more than that. 
whether I would ever want it to to claim an ability to um, limit the damage that we're doing. This planet's going to die. Human beings are going to die, whether it's in uh, 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. The human beings, we as human beings do not have the capacity to sit around a, a table together and say, okay, there's this one lot, rock, one set of resource. It has an ecosystem that works like this. We should all orientate our behavior so that we can thrive on it. It's just not going to happen. We're going to die out just as the dinosaurs did. Um, uh, and we're going to, it's going to be from a self-made um, uh, uh, exceptional event rather than a, a meteor hitting the planet. Um, that would probably just do us all a favor and speed it up a bit. Um, so I, I think my job is to improve the quality of your life. Uh, and if you've got a product um, that I believe will, will help you do that, um, then, then I'm quite happy to work on it. And I don't, I don't see any role in, in marketing to have that kind of overall control that you're talking about. Okay. So it is a huge question. I mean, it is a huge question. And I mean, I've got, um, I typically do business with much smaller businesses. Like very rarely do I do business with businesses now. So I kind of see it about definitely improving the quality of their life by making their business successful they are typically competing with corporations and it's really difficult, you know, so that's kind of how I justify it. But I also think, and it's only because you said it, I also think you're placing a limit on, so not necessarily focusing on what people don't need to buy, but focusing maybe or putting some emphasis on what people don't need to sell is also maybe something that's interesting in that aspect. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I get that. I get that. But then, but then in the end, that will be my moral and ethical barometer will be laid, or the slide will, will be played off. Yes, you know, yes. Will be played across that. And then I'm not, I'm, I'm still not sure how useful that would be. You know, I, I live a very privileged life and I do acknowledge that. And, uh, um, and <laughs> interestingly, I, I love the idea of uh, he's so successful, he hasn't got time to do this. Actually, the mark of success is that you do have time to do this. I know, I that know, yeah. Is what, <laughs> that is if you're so busy, you can't do this, you are not successful. Yes. <laughs> you're just very busy. Now, you might be making a lot of money and all that sort of thing, but actually, you've got it wrong because you think you're you're banking the check for use later on. And, of course, you know, how often do we hear people, you know, stopping work and then keeling over two years later and they don't get yeah, to yeah. enjoy what they've done? Actually, what you should do is build a a way of working, do what you enjoy, do what you, what you, what pleasures you, because that's how you lift out of the mundanity of life and for which most people don't have an opportunity. So if I can do anything that, that makes a moment for a person, a better quality, I will do that. Now, if that's what you're calling consumerism, um, maybe, but of course this is all part of the, 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 um, the conspiracy that was landowners working out that they couldn't, keep stealing people's corn and that's how they were going to tax people so then they thought they'd uh, they'd uh, build factories on it on the on the land and then make the people who used to work the land work in the factories and buy the things that they were making and then that was all part of the conspiracy so the 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 landowners got more and more rich and the bank people so now of course you know whatever it is 0.1 percent of of population owns 90 percent of the wealth because the system was built there so if you think there's a conspiracy going on then and i agree with that and if we could break that that would be great I would be very happy with that because I think there is an enough is enough place. I don't think yes. the rich have to be getting rich. I, I don't get um, space tourism at all. I just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, the, the, uh, 
Um, so these very rich people are sending rockets up into space uh, as a plaything when this, they, they only have to look around them for five minutes and realize we are crushing and burning this planet to hell. They should yes. be using their resources to build uh, uh, survival pods elsewhere off the planet, you know, if they want to do anything useful. So, um, so I, I get upset by that. I think there's an imbalance there. And I think that's an imbalance I'm more interested in is helping the small business provide community-based services, products and services um, that really improve the quality of local communities yeah, yeah. that can adjust uh, to their environment. That's very interesting. Yeah, and I yes. find that very interesting. And, I and find 100%, that that's, that's where I am. And if and I think that okay. like the big narrative like this, I mean, we've gone completely in the wrong direction. But we're not going to get out of it by stopping speaking. So I think the big oh, no. narrative, like the scare about global warming, kind of clouds the fact that the actual pollution is hurting actual people every day. So people like businesses that are working against pollution, air pollution, water pollution, those kinds of things are, are really interesting for me. But maybe yeah, I, I think the challenge, Martin, is this is not a linear change. No, there will be there'll be a tipping point. I don't know that anybody's clear on where the tipping point, whether we passed it or whether we're about to pass it. So all of this 1.5 degrees thing, it all sounds linear. It all sounds like somebody's doing something about it, and yet nobody's doing anything about anything. And of course, yeah, the real, the real, the real problem, whether there's G7s or whatever, or, or COP 26s or whatever, nobody's really teaching nobody's marketing the idea that this rock is about to exhaust itself and it is not going to sustain us as human beings and indeed most of the animals yeah and we are we're, and what's rather unusual about it is we are actively killing ourselves i always align it with um uh stagnant ponds so you, you get a beautiful pond and then a little bit of uh, uh weed goes on the top of the pond and then eventually it covers the whole pond and it's beautiful, it's flourishing, it's beautifully green and everything. But then it stops the sunlight getting through to the fish underneath that then die and then the plants die. And then, they, and then eventually the pond can't sustain the weed anymore. And then the weed disappears because it dies off because there's nothing feeding it from underneath. And you're left with a stagnant pond. We are doing exactly that to this our, our planet. I just can't judge when it is. My, so my dilemma is, okay, do I stop having the quality of life that I'm enjoying? Do I stop helping other people have the quality of life that they're enjoying uh, in my limited uh, 80 odd years compared to my 220 million year old fossil? We're all going to end up as fossils, right? So, okay, so I have a choice. Do I kind of become the kind of Gandhi, Mother Teresa equivalent of, of, of that and change everything? No. Do I try and create a, a, an offset, a balance? Do I, do I do loads of work for charity and all that sort of thing? I took 25% of my time I spend on pro bono work to try and change the quality of life for other people. But, and you hope you create a virus, a virus of people who say kindness was given to me. I'm going to pass on the kindness. So I think the route, the route through this is kindness. Um, and I think the brand that we should be developing is kindness. Um, and therefore be kind to each other, be kind to our planet, be kind to our animals, be kind to the environment. And if we could create brand kindness, I think that becomes a much more interesting thing. And actually, we don't we don't have weapons to kill each other, and that we we are you know we are kind to people who we don't understand and have different ways, and we we let that dominate. That would be an interesting brand to work on at a global level, 
that everybody says I'm in the business of kindness and looking after those and the things around me. Maybe that might be a, a, a way of creating a movement of some description, but we, we've got a society where everybody needs a label. We talked about it at the top of the show. You know, everybody needs a label. Everybody needs to be different. Everyone needs to be unique. Nobody's the same. We don't want to, we don't have a shared one. So I'd love a value proposition that just has one value in it, which is kindness. Let's all just be kind to each other. Um, and success should be defined by how kind you can be. Um, yes. Not shoot, not shoot rockets into the air for 20 minutes at fast expense to another another hundred acres of savannah in the Amazon or whatever. It's just, I, I just, I, I, I don't get it. I don't, and I'm a, you'll be shocked and I'm also a space enthusiast. Um, um, so I just don't get that space tourism bit. Um, no, so. and I don't get it. And, and I think it's interesting. I mean, we're over two hours now. This feels to me like it might be part three. I'd, I'd love, love to it. have this yeah. conversation with someone. Um, but it just seems to me, it's, it's interesting, like the global warming marketing is so much better than the air pollution or the water pollution. The truth is that the, the planet is pretty uninhabitable for a lot of people already. Yeah, You know, that, that for me should be the focus, I think. And I think the hypocrisy of these billionaires has kind of been exposed in the last 18 months. 18 months ago, Richard Branson was going to the government asking for uh, hundreds of millions of pounds to, to pay his thing. And then, yeah, he he wasted however many tens of millions throwing that, that rocket into space. I, 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 for I find it extraordinary that smart people are sitting in Westminster and going, OK, if we've been hoodwinked here, we've given money to Virgin to keep their airline going, uh, money they don't need to give back. Meanwhile, they're shooting rockets in the air for, for people. I, I, I don't they, think they're I thinking just, that, are they? they? They're thinking, did we, get, did we get our check from Virgin this month? No, anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have thoroughly enjoyed this again, Mr. Winter. So oh, me too, so me too, Martin. <laughs> it is a mark of success that we've been able to do it for as long as we have. Um, uh, and, uh, it is a mark of success. And to be fair to Mike, his name is, this is oh, like no, a startup. He's been on this like eight months, so he, he is on our page. He knows that he needs to get out of it as quickly as possible. But um, No, and I think, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's I'm a big e-myth, Michael Gerber e-myth fan. You know, you've got to make yourself redundant from your own business. If you can do yes. that, then, then do these sorts of shows as and when. Because actually, do you know what? My mind is stimulated. Your mind is stimulated. I hope those that, that get to watch this are, are stimulated by it as well. That's where if you open your brain up, you start to think differently, different things starting start happening. Uh, and you know tiny little adjustments can make huge impact butterfly effect can be massive on your business so if you yes. just pick up one or two of the things from any of these shows that martin puts on then then that butterfly effect can have a massive impact on your on, on your business going forward so you know good on you for putting the shows together good on you for keep going and if there's a part three i'll go for part three and we can have a discussion on there'll be a part three <laughs> well, no, this test drive's not ending, brother. This test drive's not right, ending. Okay, Just cool. don't tell me I have to pay next time because I haven't got any money. Um, what did I want to say? I wanted to say two things. Firstly, like when I talk to people about investing in their marketing and in their business, I think part of the point of being in business has to be to build something that someone will come along and write a check for at some point in the future. Because, I mean, apart from maybe our style of business, where it's so much about us and our, our personalities and our relationships. But running a business is hard. You know, it is properly hard. And unless there is some 
making yourself redundant or selling the business for enough money in the future. It kind of doesn't make economic sense. I don't, and I was, by the way, I don't agree with that at all. By the way, okay. Um, so so uh, um, um, okay. So so where do where do I go with this? Eighty one percent of businesses don't make five years. Uh, yep. Of the 19 percent uh, that do survive, only one in sixteen hundred become corporates, and of those, uh, almost none ever sell. So the idea okay. of selling your business is 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 just you know not not true. Um, so now some do, some do, but you have to be very specialised. But it's very hard to sell the business, uh, and certainly you might. Uh, change the ownership of the business, uh, which you might argue is selling, but you won't have made any money from it. All you're doing is you're continuing the, the, the worth of the value proposition. Um, I think business is about um, deciding what kind of life you want to lead, um, and and shape and, and 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 almost creating a business plan for your personal life, and then creating a machine that services that lifestyle, uh, and. I, it's not a lifestyle business, it's, but it is a kind of a lifestyle. The majority of businesses are lifestyle businesses, only, only one in 1,600. So all the rest are all lifestyle businesses. So what, what I would commend people to do is decide what kind of lifestyle they want. I've, got, I'm, I've been working with someone. I've never known somebody smarter, more hardworking than, than this chap. And over Christmas, he had to uh, relinquish the reins on his business. Right and hasn't turned it into the multi millions that might seem through and have a, an amazing uh, thing, just because the market changed, things shifted, things changed, pandemic came. You know, it's a, it's a product of the pandemic. So I think you should build a machine that services the kind of lifestyle you want for you personally. Number one, your family, your immediate family, and then the community beyond that. So I think you should build something that services the community that you want to be a part of. Um, if it's successful and you realize it can be scaled, which is the, uh, the idea of exiting is it allows you to scale the business. If you realize it can scale and make a difference for a much bigger community, right, then you should do that. And that's then when there's a possibility you need extra resources, extra information. It might be worth worth selling then and, and disposing of the business. So, But I think for the majority of business owners, they should go into business with a clear understanding of the value that they are going to bring to themselves, their family, and their community, um, and make that the focus and put a number on it. Say, if I had a million, if I had a hundred thousand, if I had five hundred thousand, if I had ten million, you know, that's what I would do. That then really leads to a fulfilling life. My experience has been that leads to a really fulfilling life as a as a as a business. You might want to be an employer. You might want to make the difference to people who are disadvantage you might want to improve the quality of life of people they're the motivations for being in business in my opinion not exit i think exit is peddled by people who who make money from exits and very few do martin uh, 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 and and people think i've got to build it to exit there is no such market um it'll be something that was offered to you at a particular time um as part of your business strategy but your business strategy. I, so I, I don't. I don't agree that that um, that now making yourself redundant allows you to do this sort of thing. Have great fun, 
use it as stimulus that my serotonins are much higher now at the end of this than, than they were at the beginning. Um, I'm, they might well be for you. That means I'm going to do much better work for the rest of the day. I'm going to enjoy the rest of the day much better because of it. You know, that's yes. what you should do. Buzzes, those kind of buzzes, sharing your expertise, sharing your knowledge. Now that's a world I want to live in. So anyway, sorry. Good. I feel a bit okay. so I'm the second you one. Get off your soapbox. I, I, okay, so I still think one of those two. It's one of those two things. Your thing or my thing. One of those two things. Okay. There has to okay. be a bigger benefit because it's not easy to be running a business, like you say, eighty-one percent no. fail within five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah. I want to say about this is that what we've done, mainly you, is give anyone who cares to to watch this what corporations are paying a lot of money for. You know, yeah. so. That has to be hugely valuable. I don't buy into this nugget business. I don't buy into this secret business. For me, it's always about identifying what the work is that needs to be done and a process for getting that work done. You know, so I think this has been I've, my serotonin levels are huge right now. So I am really <laughs> happy. Um, you can expect to hear from me again in six months. I'm feeling like I don't speak <laughs> I really to you every six that. months then. And my serotonin levels might struggle a little bit. <laughs> no, I really look forward to that. Thank you ever so much for uh, being as probing as you are. So it's, only, it's good. only a pleasure. Thank you so much.